Well, good morning. Thank you to Jed and our worship team for leading us in the singing this morning and invite you all to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. This morning we're in Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through 17. And the title of today's message is Hope is Here as we start to turn our attention to this Christmas season. And as you're turning your Bibles, uh, I just ask you to think about what comes to mind when you think of Christmas. Perhaps uh, your mind goes to the frenzy of shopping going on in all the stores. We just survived Black Friday and um, all, all of that uh, chaos out there. And it's not quite the same as it used to be, but it's still quite a, an emphasis on all that you need and all that you could have. And if you would just get out at the right time, uh, you could lay your hands on the best price to get uh, what, what, if you really love your children, you'll buy them this Christmas. Perhaps you think of uh, family, maybe you just survived uh, being with family for Thanksgiving and now you're thinking to uh, have to be with them again in uh, Christmas. I hope that's a time of blessing for you, but for some that is a, a struggle uh, and, and that might just bring more worries and stress to mind. And yet, uh, really, Christmas is a time to remember the hope that God provides, the hope that has arrived, particularly in the person of Jesus Christ, God's Son, God's promised one. And as Matthew writes his gospel, as we enter into the gospel of Matthew this morning, we're uh, right at the beginning of the New Testament. And Matthew is a penning for those who will be reading just an introduction to this promised one that Israel has been waiting for for quite some time. They've been waiting for a certain hope as they've seen uh, circumstances bring them a completely different direction. They've seen a breakdown of where they might have uh, been placing hope at times. They'd seen God work in, in amazing ways. And they'd seen quite a bit of judgment from God as they'd uh, taken that for granted and really not uh, leaned into him to trust him and love him with all their heart. But Christmas is important for us to focus on hope. And we're going to see how God brings that backdrop of hope against the story of struggle, a story of um, disappointment, a story of judgment, and much more. And a great way for us to do that is right here at the beginning of Matthew to get right into a genealogy, which we just heard in song. We'll uh, look at in a moment here. But I um, have to wonder as we start, why read genealogies? I won't ask for confession time if you decide to skip over that in your Bible reading when you get to a long list of names and decide, well, um, I don't know that's just a list of names and I don't know what to do with that so I'm going to move to the next section or if maybe that's your trick for how you put your kids to bed at night or how you put yourself to bed actually these names and these lists are here for a reason and they are valuable in scripture and we believe where second Timothy 3 says that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable and uh, he wasn't meaning just just the ones that weren't lists of names uh, he meant even, even these lists of names, which are valuable and profitable for us and, and directly from God. So we're going to jump into that this morning and see the value of it. And um, perhaps you have that sentiment, um, don't judge a book by its cover. And, and maybe you would feel very strongly, well, don't judge me by my family. I'm nothing like my family, some would insist. 
And yet, the truth is, our families can tell a lot about us and show a little bit of our background, our culture, how we were raised, what kind of teaching we've received, uh, what they even shape a lot of our styles and preferences, whether it's something I learned naturally from my parents and those I'm around, or whether it's something I've specifically determined, I'm going to be nothing like that. Now, as Matthew prepares to introduce us to Jesus, he wants us to first learn about Jesus through his family, and certainly much more to see about him, and that's why he's not done that for these 17 verses. But in the trajectory of Jesus' family here, in these first 17 verses, there's a desperate need for hope that they've waited for for a long time. These are stories of brokenness awaiting God's restoration. Surely you can think of times in your life you've had to wait. And as you're waiting, it seems like oh, the minutes turn into hours, and before you know it, the hours turn into days, weeks, months, perhaps even years. And it feels like a long time, and you don't know, is this ever going to end? Will my circumstances change? Will I be able to lay hold of what I'm longing for? Well, with Jesus, God gave hope. They'd been waiting for years, for centuries. And we can hope now in the midst of our waiting, in the midst of our hopelessness, not necessarily for what we'd love to lay hold of in our own lives, but to know that God is working in the midst and God has a great plan. And uh, so I'd like to go ahead and have us jump into, if you'll look with me at Matthew chapter 1, I'm going to read through these first 17 verses before we get going today. Matthew writes, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathon, Mathon, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. So, all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations. 
and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the great hope we have in your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for these pages of scripture that detail that hope, even in the midst of messy stories, even in the midst of great struggle, great disappointment, great heartbreak, great sin. Father, that you are present in the midst of that, and you are working your plan, and you accomplish that plan ultimately in your son, Jesus Christ, whom you've brought to this earth, who died, paid the price in full for sins, and rose, and ascended to be with you. And Lord, we are awaiting his return. We are waiting still for the ultimate fulfillment of that hope, to be in your presence for all eternity, without sin, without this brokenness. And yet, Lord, thank you that even now, we can treasure you, and we don't have to waver in hope, but we can stand fast, trusting in your goodness, your purpose, your power, your timing, Lord. We need your help, and we ask that as a church, we would follow you more. We ask as a church that we would uh, stand fast together, that we would be strengthened together as we study your word and as we live your truth, as we minister to one another. Father, Bless our time in the word this morning. Show your power and your purpose, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look at Matthew 1 today, we can ask the question, is there hope? And I want us to see that hope is here. Hope is here. And God is writing his story of hope. God is writing his story of hope, and I hope that you've heard a glimpse of that as we've looked at these names, and perhaps uh, you're already struggling with that list of names to see, okay, we've just moved through literally name after name after name. We've got a family tree in the books. What do we do with it? And I want us to see as we look into this genealogy this morning that there are three keys to hope for us to see. The first is this, that we ought to hope in God's commitment to his promises, Hope in God's commitment to his promises. If you look at verse 1, we get an introduction. This first uh, sentence here is key. Matthew says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And uh, so the, these three descriptions of who this Jesus is. And remember, if you're in, we're, hopefully we're all fairly well acquainted or on the path, that journey to getting to know more about this Jesus to build our lives around him, to understand him, to know who he is and why he matters. And that would have been a very big question in the mind of his readers, those who had maybe uh, heard about some of the amazing things Jesus was doing, because he writes after the life of Jesus, and, and people are seeing the church underway, and people have seen uh, Jesus has done some miracles, but they got rid of him, and now what happened? And as they're trying to put this together and understand who is this man, well, he gives three quick introductions. This is Jesus Christ, not as a, a last name. He is Jesus the Messiah. He is the, the promised, long-awaited deliverer ever since the beginning. He is the son of David, directly out of the king's line that uh, was uh, strongly revered in Israel, and the son of Abraham, whom they held fast to and, and took identity in, that this is direct connections for them to look to and see that there is an identity of this Jesus as the Messiah, but also out of the line of David and out of the line of Abraham. 
And so as we look into that first verse especially, and then uh, he wraps up in verse 17 to show all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. He's, he's framing this to see that, that God has been moving through history with uh, a, a solid intent, and um, there, there's a little artistic license, and, and it bothers some, some modern, um, uh, those studying this, to, to, okay, how do you put this together? Because these 14 generations, some have been skipped over, and it's not, Matthew's framing this for a Jewish perspective to hit some of those highlights and see who's in the midst of this family tree. So don't get caught up by that. But um, we, we want to see what is Matthew showing us here? Why do, what do we need to know about this Jesus particularly? And first of all, uh, we have to hope in God's commitment to promises. God promised a Messiah. We're, so we're going to see how the pages of Scripture have been leading up to this point. He's going to be looking backward and connecting the dots and saying, it's here. Hope is here. We've been waiting. And, and so these promises that God has made that you've been waiting for, they're happening. They've happened. Jesus came, and, and he fulfilled that promise in Genesis 3.15, way back to the first sin of Adam and Eve, when, Jesus, when, when God, tells, uh, God tells them, actually says to the serpent in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And this is often referred to as the first gospel. There's a foreshadowing there that God already has a plan. God is making promises, and, and Adam and Eve have the opportunity to hear, and this is recorded in the scripture for them, that their families know, the, the, all the people know, this is what happened in history, and this is what God is promising to them to accomplish in the coming days. And here it is, it has come, this Messiah. And, and actually, this is foreshadowed here, because as we look at Matthew 1, 1, and, and we see that introduction, to the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, that, that genealogy word is just the word Genesis, the book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ. And just looking at uh, what, what is that genealogy, it parallels Genesis 5.1. This is the book of the generations or Genesis of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So, uh, and then he goes to the genealogy of Adam. And there's the uh, contrast drawn there to look to this new creation in Christ that we can have hope in him. Not only did God promise Messiah, God also promises blessing. God has promised blessing, and this is in the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12, and actually uh, moving through the pages of Genesis, but I'm going to have us look particularly at Genesis 12, 1 through 3. So now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And God continues to develop these promises, this covenant with Abraham, so there's more and more understanding, but that, that basic idea, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed, that's being accomplished in Christ. And this Abrahamic covenant uh, ha has great basis there to be fulfilled. And, and Matthew tells us, well, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob. Um, uh, so we've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and God takes on that identity. In fact, uh, 
as Moses speaks to him in Exodus 3, uh, God says to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And so uh, this is made clear. This is, this is God who is establishing his people Israel, and Jacob, it become, God gives him the name Israel, and God brings a line out of them. And, and that's important for us to understand, and, and we're not just trying to get into the history lesson, but God is establishing a people, and from that, he is now drawing up this promised Messiah to accomplish the promised blessing that, that he would do for not only them, but for all the families of the earth, for us as well. And as he continues, God promises a king. And we get to that in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and certainly that is... Um, a, a promise made to David of a future king from, from him. And so when in Matthew 1, 1, when he says the son of David, he is establishing that Jesus is qualified as the fulfillment of this promise. And Jesus will uh, meet this and, and provide this at, for, for him. Second Samuel chapter 7 says in verse 12 and following, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In verse 16, he says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And so there's a promised king that is coming and has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And so God is building up toward this through the page of the Old Testament in these covenants, particularly with Abraham and David, and now it has come to fruition with the person of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're familiar with, I mean, this is over two-thirds of the Bible for the Old Testament that they've been waiting and struggling with sin and, and cycling through the, the, the struggles. And where, where is this long-awaited messiah where is this promised deliverer where can we find that hope and that that's a, a tough situation just to just think how many generations that was we've got uh, 42 names right here in the page of scripture for us to see that and, and that's just a, a snapshot of, of more there the people during that time and perhaps you've waited a long time perhaps you've felt hopeless Perhaps you're in the midst of that now, and I would have you to have a glimpse of that, that God is there in the midst of it. God is working to fulfill his promises, and God has not forgotten us. In fact, God's timing is perfect for his promises as well, and we would not have them sooner than he would give them to us. Even as we move through Matthew 1, he, he breaks part of that division with the deportation to Babylon, this Babylonian exile where they're, they're carried off and they're taken captive. And, and from there, when, even when they're freed from Babylon, they're, they're under the oppression of, of Persia and Rome and more. And, and they're currently under that Roman oppression in the time of Jesus. And it doesn't come the way they, they thought it would. And yet God is still working his purpose and showing that his promises are perfect. And so this genealogy portrays that path to God's fulfilled promises, portrays it that there's going to be waiting. There's going to be tough times. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be long at times. And don't, yet we ought not lose hope. We can hope in God's commitment to his promises. Second is this that we can hope in God's plans 
with purpose. God has great plans, and he has full purpose in them. And that's hard for us because we can always say, well, if it was up to me, I would do it this way, or it just seems like this is the right way to, to do things. And even in our list, we see there's a number of people who thought, yeah, kings and, and otherwise, thought, well, I've got my own way of doing things. Thank you. And, and there, if you work through the books of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, it describes for us these kings who did what was right in their own eyes. They did evil before the Lord. And uh, some of them God removed very quickly. Others let them go their own way for a while. And it wreaked corruption through Israel, through Judah, as, as God allowed them to lead. Well, God's plans are perfect. And I know we, we can struggle in our own ways, think we'd get it right. But sometimes we... Um, just for perspective, need to realize, well, God is the one who sees all from beginning to end, and God knows just the right way to put things together. The best way to make plans is if you know how to get to the end and, and the map from here to there. If you don't do it right, well, you can get into situations where you didn't plan too well. It can be inconvenient in the long run. Uh, here's another situation where that door didn't shut just right. If they thought ahead of time how things were going to come together, if you need a ramp, usually you need it to go all the way up, otherwise it fails to meet its purpose. I would love to see this sometime where escalator goes up, but they didn't make enough room for those standing on it. Or this escalator that didn't end just right. How about these stairs that uh, go up, but, but you can't continue? Or the stairs that miss the doors? Uh, one, one more here, this ATM, that, oh, this ATM just out of reach. <laughs> or if you built a bridge from opposite ends, but they didn't quite meet in the middle. It's just a portrayal of, you know, the, the plans need to fully fit together, and you need to be able to see from start to finish. And we have one who does see fully through all eternity, start to finish, and has the perfect plans. And so we can't simply opt for our own perspective, our own way, and how we would bring that together. But God's plans, God's purposes, actually we're reminded several times throughout Scripture that if we want to hope in God's plans with purpose, we need to recognize God's plans are better than our plans, far better than what I could draft up, no matter how hard I try. And, and God's given us creative ability and wisdom so that we can uh, do well, and I, I think, praise God, to see many wise people who plan well, but in the end, we, we need to recognize our struggle as well. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. That, that's quite a warning to us who might be tempted to go our own way. Well, Psalm 33, 11 also puts into perspective, Psalm 33, 11 says this, uh, Psalm 33:11. <clears throat> the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. And Job 42:2 uh, captures God's sovereignty. Job says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And so God's plans are far better than our plans, what we might put together. And we see that as we look at this list in Matthew 1 and see some of the names here. Why, why did God 
Did, did God do this on accident? Is he, uh, is, is this like, you know, I might play chess with my boys and uh, realize, oh, I made a mistake and I got to figure out how to back up and try to fix things. And God, God's not um, trying to react to the moves we make and try to figure out how to fix things along the way. God's got a plan in full all along the way to know here's how it's all going to fit together even in the midst of human lives and we'll see that in a little bit here but we can be tempted to go our own way or or to find shortcuts quick fixes but we ought not resort to those kinds of ways to to try shortcuts or quick fixes and we see that example particularly in first samuel chapter 8 in first samuel chapter 8 Israel demands a king, and, and God had been working. God was functioning. Israel was a theocracy, and, and so they were, God was their king. They didn't need a human king, but that's not how they saw it. And so they, they started to say, that's what we need. That's what's going wrong. And, and verse 3 of 1 Samuel 8, um, or, uh, sorry, verse 5 of 1 Samuel 8 says, uh, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. This is them speaking to Samuel. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. They're looking out at the nations around and saying, well, they've got it right. And, and so they're trying to make sense of it themselves. They're choosing their own way. Like, let's, wh wh why isn't the Lord doing this for us? They're questioning God's goodness. They're uh, wanting their own plans. And they can't see the way God does. And yet, um, as Samuel interacts with them, God tells Samuel, Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And yet, as he did, um, it says, But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us. And they wanted it, just like the other nations. And so, at the end of the chapter, the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. <clears throat> and if you know the story, their, their first king, it didn't go well. Saul... Um, Looked great, very good in appearance, but was leading Israel down the wrong path. And yet God uh, raised up a promised king, David, through whom he made uh, a greater promise of what would come. And so God's plans are perfect. God's plans are, are, are the right way, and we can't look for our own fixes, our own ways. And so we see then, looking through this list of people, God's plans are fulfilled in Jesus at just the right time. And, and so you see, um, moving through the, the list, um, it do doesn't get there quickly. 42 generations plus more, and, and when is it going to come? And, and God's working his purpose through the process. And God's preparing a people, and God knows the right timing, the right way, and, and we that, have that described for us a bit in, in Ephesians 1, 9, and 10. It says, that God was making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Galatians 4, 4 and 5, but when the fullness of time had come, God had sent forth a son born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God was working his purpose in his time. Just look back at Matthew 1, and, and we see that leading, and, and, and so many of these names coming out of the pages of Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Perez, and, and continuing, we get into the pages of, of, of uh, Samuel and Kings and Chronicles with, with Jesse and David, 
Solomon, Rehoboam, and, and many more of these kings. And then we get into that exile, and we see those struggles underway. So these pages of the Old Testament are leading up, but we need to see that as we get a, a bit of a summary of the Old Testament here, that the Old Testament heralds Jesus as king. That is showing, again, that Jesus is the king they need. He's the perfect king. He's the right king. And he is the king who will one day reign over all. And God will make it perfect in and through him. Looking for the good news of that Old Testament coming to fruition. And then, so we're introduced to this, this Messiah. He comes out of a line of people. And he's introduced as a baby. And then he's uh, an impoverished man. And he's a simple construction worker with a, a crew of people following him around. But they can learn far more through this Jesus who is king. Finally, God is writing his story of hope and we ought to hope in God's value for people. We need to hope in God's value for people. Truth is, this is a list of names, but these are, are names that we, we ought to pay attention to if, if you go and, and read their stories. The truth is, God uses messy people. And so if you're thinking about your own self and like, oh, God can never use me, man, I've, I've fallen far short. I've, I've just got so much wrong in my life right now. I, I don't even know how to dig myself out. And yet God works in the midst of that and God can use people and God has, again, a plan, but God wants to do it through people. I mean, God could have gotten straight from point A to point B without having to work in and through people, but God has that, that plan and that purpose in the midst of the process through people. And we need to recognize these are real people in real history. This, these aren't fables. These aren't just a bunch of good stories to us to learn from. These are people who live real lives struggled in real circumstances, the, the real battle between nations that they faced, the real uh, wavering between good kings and bad kings and, and different directions of the country. And I mean, even as we think through presidential elections and where is our country headed, we can look to the pages of scripture and see God's hope unfolding. No matter what the political circumstances, God is ultimately in control but God works through people. I mean, look at some of these messy people here. We see Jacob in verse 2. I mean, he swindled the birthright of his brother Esau. He was uh, fighting and, and had his own way and devious. Not only that, we were introduced to Judah, who uh, we're told the father Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Well, uh, if you're familiar with Genesis 38, Judah and Tamar, Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law, and uh, her, her husband passed away, married the brother, he passed away, and uh, she tricked Judah, but he chose sin as well, and even in the midst of that, like, okay, isn't Jesus going to come through a perfect line? No, actually, if Jesus had to come through a perfect line, he never would have gotten here. But God uses even these stories, and he doesn't cover them up or brush them aside. Through this line and a reminder of who these people are, that's where Jesus came from. We're told of uh, Salmon, who, who married Rahab, the harlot. We're told of, of David, who um, were, um, 
here. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Not that he was uh, unable to name Bathsheba, but to emphasize that that wasn't the right path. But out of it, still God is bringing and accomplishing his purpose, bringing hope through Jesus. Right after that, Solomon, who had many wives, many concubines, fell into idolatry, and then all these wicked kings here, Rehoboam, Abijah, Joram or Jehoram, uh, Uzziah, who started well but grew proud and was struck with leprosy, Manasseh, Amos, Jeconiah, the, these kings who went their own way, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. God uses messy people, and God worked through those circumstances to accomplish his purpose. And that's not to dismiss the, well, if I lead my own life, then God will use me anyway. I'm still accountable to choose what's right and, and to find the greatest joy in following God's paths. But I can also trust in God's perfect sovereignty in the midst of others around me who might be leading their wrong lives, that I, I can be faithful to the Lord. I can find I, I can repent, turn to him, and do my part and trust that they're not going to thwart God's purpose and God can work in and through me and may even turn people around in that process. We also see in this that God values women. God values foreigners. God values even the unrecognized people. Where uh, it, it would be unheard of in this, um, in this Jewish culture to point to these women as a crucial part, and yet we, we have five women named here, Tamar in verse 3, Rahab in verse 5, Ruth in verse 5, uh, Bathsheba as the wife of Uriah, verse 6, and Mary in verse 16. And, and God didn't pick all the, the best the best women, like at least they were good enough to be named. No, uh, he's uh, picked women who were in sin. He's picked women, many of them foreigners, and, and actually as we think because God values foreigners. Tamar was likely a Canaanite. Uh, Rahab was a Canaanite. Ruth was a Moabitess. And um, even in the pages of scripture, God had to, uh, as he was accomplishing his purpose, God uh, put limitations. Genesis 9 verse uh, 25, he said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. And, and even still God worked through these Canaanites in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, he, he said, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. And yet, still worked in, in Ruth's life and, and brought through her the line of Christ. Many other names in this passage, uh, if, if you're reading through this, we don't know much about many of these names. This isn't just to recall those stories, but it is tracking through the line to, to hit, hit on real people, Hezron and Aminadab. And we don't know much about Obed other than a connection to uh, Ruth. And, uh, but other names here, Shealtiel, Eliakim, Azor, Akim, Eliud, Eleazar, Mathan. We, we don't learn much about these people, if anything, through the pages of Scripture. And yet... God saw them, God knew them, God was at work, and these matter. We also should see from the genealogy that God calls parents and community to godly influence. 
we have this one chance to pass this on to the next generation. And that's super important. As parents, as, as, as a body of believers, how are we going to invest in the next generation? Because what a shameful thing to learn, as Judges 2.10 says, uh, Judges 2.10 says these words, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there rose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. This is right after being brought out of the land of Egypt. And we see these cycles happening. And uh, even through um, Matthew 1, we see good kings, we see bad kings, all from the same line. And, and we see how God brings it back around. But to, to see how a good king passes on the throne and then their own son chooses evil and leads a nation astray, well, may it never be. May, may the Lord work in and through us to pass the faith forward that we would stand for God's truth. See, God values you, and God has a plan for you. God values people, including you. But I would have you to search your own heart and examine yourself. Are you available to him to be used by him as he pleases? One quick reminder, even as we see some of the, the good kings and some of those who are faithful through here, that the pages of scripture point us not ultimately to these people to be emulated. If you're familiar with Hebrews 11, we learn of a great number of people that we might even call the great hall of faith and see these Old Testament believers who lived right lives and God used them in great ways. And then Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 calls them instead a great cloud of witnesses. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely let us run with endurance the race that is before us, looking to Jesus. And, and that ought to be our, our takeaway, not, not to emulate these people and try to be like them, but to learn who is God, what is he doing through this, to, to see the focus on Jesus and to trust him. Because God is writing his story of hope and has come in the person of Jesus. And that's what we celebrate not only at Christmas. Christmas brings us back to the introduction of Jesus as that baby born of this line for a purpose, but he reigns as king. He ought to reign in our lives as we surrender to him and follow him and hope in him, hoping in, in God's promises because God is faithful to his promises to do what he says he will do. It might mean waiting, but we can be sure that God will accomplish it hoping in God's plans that he works with great purpose that are better than our purposes. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And hoping in God's value for people that God puts, we, we are made in his image and God cares about us and God is working as a whole, but also individually in each of our lives to lead us as he accomplishes his purpose. Hope is here. Even as we might be waiting, even as we might be struggling, we have a present hope in Jesus. It doesn't mean a perfect life, a perfect Christmas, a perfect family situation, but he is working for our best. So don't lose heart. Let's cling to God in the midst of waiting and find our hope in him as we see the pages of scripture and see God writing his story. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you 
for our church, this community of believers, that we have one another to study your word together, to see how you've been working through history, but not just through history, even now, Lord, to accomplish your purposes, to accomplish and fulfill your promises, to work in the midst of people that you value. Lord, we are not worthy. We have not earned that. We are not good enough. But in Christ, we have great hope of all that you will accomplish in and through us. And we pray that the gospel will go forth. We pray that you would continue what you've started, that we would see that good work fulfilled in Ames and the communities around us, in the families that we see, in our own families, in our lives, the fruit of the gospel, the hope at work to change us as we enjoy you. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.